It's the Raji Rabbit Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Raji Rabbit Podcast. And we have a great show for you today. Basically, today you are going to hear what I recorded from the workshop, the keynote that I attended with the DJ Expo 2017. The keynote this time is from Mr. Biz Marquis. Now, this is an amazing keynote. This is definitely worth a listen. What's going on here at the keynote is the interviewer is talking to Biz Marquis and taking us on a musical journey from the start of Biz Marquis' career. Uh, you really get to see how many influential pioneers of hip-hop came up together and how closely knit the hip-hop community was uh, right when it started. It's an amazing, amazing story. I was a, It was a very, very cool experience to meet him in person. Uh, really cool to meet another person who's been a, become a great friend of mine, his uh, longtime friend DJ Bilal. I'll get more into Bilal and hopefully get him into the podcast here soon. I would love to interview him. Uh, DJ Bilal is super cool. Check him out on Instagram. Uh, he's uh, there. Check out Biz Marquee uh, on social media as well. But definitely listen to this keynote because you're going to learn a whole lot about hip-hop from the mouth of the biz. And it starts now. He was born Marcel Theo Hall, and he became known as the Clown Prince of Hip Hop. He began as a beatboxer for Roxanne Chante of New York's legendary Juice Crew. He had hit records with Vapors, Nobody Beats the Biz, and of course, the evergreen Just a Friend. After that, he made hip hop history again, but this time of the legal variety. He's also collaborated with some of the top names in the industry, like the Beastie Boys, with whom he's performed at Madison Square Garden. More recently, he's kept up his performing schedule with DJ dates at some of the biggest profile parties and events like the Super Bowl. And he's begun to work with the legendary brand, Roland. So please, give a big DJ Expo welcome to the one and only, Biz Marquis. So, what was your first musical memory? Musical memory? Musical. Hip-hop or just regular music? Any music. Uh, my pops used to play with Coltrane as a saxophone player. So, you know, just going around the house listening to different music was my first musical memory. That's cool. Um, and your first musical loves, what did you really dig? What made you think that you might want to be involved in music somehow? Was there an artist? Was there a song, a TV show, a movie? Uh, it was the L Brothers, Grand Wizard Theodore, and the L Brothers. That's the first tape I ever heard. So after I heard that tape, I wanted to be hip hop from that point on. What was it that was so different to you about it? What was the change in the culture for you? The change in the culture is that they was they were doing something that nobody else was doing in music, far as cutting records, far as rapping off of records. It's just you would have to just hear the first tape to understand. There was a long way from the R and B of the day. It was yeah, it wasn't no Motown and all that. It was like and somebody rapping, Master Rob, Busy B, 
We not got my name Vince Markey is for Busy Bees Starsky. You know what I mean? That was something so something that was so incredible. Grandmaster Flash, I first heard the Furious Four. Um, Flash was doing stuff with turntables and, and finding records that we never thought we ever would. You know what I mean? He said, this record is dope, I'm cutting it. Right, and it could be a Thin Lizzy record. It could be, yeah, it could be Johnny the Fox. So, were you a cut up in class? Yeah, I was a class clown, of course. I was such a class clown, I was a class clown in other people's schools. <laughs> 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 I told you he was funny. Um, so where did where did you grow up? You grew up all over the New York area, right? Well, when I was little, I grew up. I mean, I was born in Harlem, but I grew up in I grew up in Long Island. I grew up in Brentwood. Grew up in Patchogue. You know, I'm from Long Island. And Long Island was different than the city. You know, they looked at us as country. Right, but a lot but, of the best hip hop acts came from Long Island. I mean, but everybody came from somewhere. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like my first group I was in was called uh, Midnight Express. That was from uh, CI. I'm CI, and after a while, I just thought I was big, bigger than just being in a group. So I got down with groups like with Rakim. You know, Rakim used to be in a group. I went to. I was one of the people like the Pope. Where I could go anywhere. Well, I go to Brooklyn, whether I go to Manhattan, I, I would hand out flyers for Mike and Dave and them, hang out with Rob Bass, Dougie, you know what I mean? So I would hang out with everybody. So what were those parties like initially? We uh, we had the Juice Crew at DJ Expo a couple years ago, and they told me some amazing stories about the Queen side of hip hop. What were those days like with all the beefs that went on between the boroughs? Well, the beefs came after record. People was great before records. Like Marley was Marley Marl before records. You know what I mean? He was he was he was looked at as a a, a superstar DJ. Another person um, at the time, if it wasn't for Roxanne Chante, no, if it wasn't for Red Alert turning over the Hanging Out record and playing the Roxanne Roxanne, it would never be Roxanne Revenge. I'm not saying I would have never been biz, but it's the it's the way that a, a journey goes to make things go to where it's supposed to go. So what were those parties like back then? I went to a million parties. I don't know which parties you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever they had food and I was there. So. <laughs> but were you going to parties in rec centers and parks and Oh clubs? yeah, the rec centers. Like the Queensbridge Rec Centers was dope because you know you had the DJs that were just known in the area. You know what I mean? And you had people like Disco Twins, and you had other DJs from everywhere that came in, and you had to you had to be on your rep had to be a hundred million for you to even be allowed to be in there, where nobody won't rob you when you leave. Dominic? Yeah, we had Marley in here a couple years ago, and he was, uh, funny enough, Flash showed up for the, the seminar too, and they were talking about there were certain records that you couldn't play, people were going to get robbed immediately. Do you remember any of those moments? 
and people would start losing the shoes and things. I was with the cool dudes, so I wasn't getting robbed. So, <laughs> <laughs> so but um, but they knew they couldn't play certain records, or shit would start happening. A uh, couple of records, but at the time, if you rocked them in the right way, nothing's gonna happen anyway. So let's talk a little bit about. Um, the difference between when MCs started to really get all the, the shine in the hip-hop world as opposed to the DJs. It seemed like it really started out with the DJ. Hip-hop started with the DJs really making it happen. Every crew, your DJ had to go, good time, good time, good time, good time, to be the DJ. Like, great, great groups had great DJs. Mastodon and the Deaf Committee. Daryl C in the Crash Crew, Grandmaster Flash in the Furious Five, Grand Wizard Theodore, the MCs was the help. But somewhere in 84, 85, it changed, or 83, it changed from the MC to the DJ. Or the other way around, though. Yeah, you know I mean, you know what I mean. <laughs> it changed. So was that just when certain records started to cross over, like the Run DMCs and things like that? Well, before records, it was the DJ. See, records only came 79. You got to think hip-hop came 75, 76, 77. Like, my first tape was 77, 78. That was L Brothers tape. So... I'm talking. I'm talking about um, far as hip hop. I think it was about the group first, like Cold Crush, Cold Crush Four. They really didn't have no big records, but they had a street rep. Another person with street reps was the Furious. I mean, not the Furious. Um, uh, Theodore MCs, the Fantastic Five, and then you had singular people like. Busy B. Starsky, that was him and AJ. This is before records. When records came, we looked at records, we didn't look at records like y'all looking at records now. We looked at records like Sugar Hill is rhyming on Good Time. When you know that Flash and them cut Good Times till it almost fell off the, fell off the, the plastic. So you remember when Rapper's Delight came out, you must have said, I've heard this somewhere before, right? Yeah, but see, when Rapid Delight came out, I was friends with the son, Leland, Recipes, Joey. I was friends with the family. So when the record came out, I'm looking at the record like, they squeezed the whole party on a 13-minute record. <laughs> How they do that? <laughs> and I'm looking at, you know, I'm like, wow, it's cool, but I'm still liking the rawness of the street, the rawness of the... Uh, like a treacherous street. When they came out with doo -doo 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 -doo, we rock, and they came out with the speed, I'm thinking these guys are from outer space or something. Like, where they get the words to put them down? So, you know what I mean? And then another record was a good record that everybody liked was one for the trouble, two for the job. Come on, Joe, let's rock. And that was a crazy record, but Flashing them on that super rapping. The rhymes that Melly Child was born with, no state of mind, is before message. So, you know, I'm still looking at street 
I'm not looking at the records like that. I'm looking at the street groups, like people that didn't make records. Like, uh, you have a lot of groups in their own towns that were bigger in their own towns. So, was the Long Island thing happening at that point? Long Island thing was happening, but we still were still learning. You know what I mean? Like, just like if people in Queens, just like people everywhere else was just learning. Connecticut was hot a little bit, you know, but I'm just saying people were still learning on to get how good, how good can we really get at this. But Roosevelt and Amityville and those places started to turn out acts that everybody got to know. Public Enemy. Yeah, but, that, yeah, that but, later. That, but that's later. Yeah. I'm talking about 78, 79, 80, 81. What were the crews? Where Pleasure. Okay. DJ Pleasure. Family Affair. Chaos Crew. You had... You had DJ Chubby from Brentwood. Then you had, then you had New York employees out out east and Mechanic. That was out east. But then you had, then you had Nassau groups like Magical Four, and Kid Flash. And then you had Queens groups like where it was it was about the system. Where you had Infinity Machine, you had um, King Charles, you had. But the talent was New York. Talent was Manhattan in the Bronx. That was the real talent. So how did you decide to get in on the performing aspect of it? When did that start to happen for you? Well, when I made up the beatbox. Well, I was a, like, I was like, like a Dougie made up the beatbox in New York. I made up the beatbox out in Long Island or whatever. But the thing is with me is I, um, I was like a one man show. So I would come in and do my own biz dance and I come in and do rapping. I would do anything that it take to be hip hop. You gotta dress the part. If you ain't clothes ain't right, they, they look at you like you. No matter how dope your rhymes is, your clothes ain't right. Ain't not looking at you that right way to this day, son. Yeah. Was there a person, a DJ, or another performer who gave you your biggest break? Well, it's three different levels, like. My first crew I was with was Midnight Express. My first big break, my first break was that with Mike and Dave from the Crash Crew. Everybody remember the record? When you walking down the street with yeah, Joe. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so I was handing out flyers with them and I was learning the business as I was going and getting better at the time. And my biggest break was Shantae, MC Shan, Marley, Mr. Magic, Tyrone Williams. That's my biggest break. That's, you know, you couldn't stop me after that. So I'm what? Good to be me. <laughs> <laughs> so did you get on the radio with the people who all of a sudden? Um, that was the first, the first time I got on the radio was with, I made a tape with Chan at Roseland called, um, uh, Live at Roseland. And I first did the oh one two oh one two oh, and people was like, "Wow, he's talking and doing the beatbox at the same time. He must be crazy." So, and then I started doing beats different. And Dougie did beats, and Buffy did. You know, Buffy. Was, Dougie was. With me, I was everything. I was. Just not just one thing. Like if I went, <laughs> 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 I 
Johnny, Johnny home? <laughs> tell him to come outside, you know, you're in battle. And people used to think in the beginning that we're going to fight or something. So I would go, yo, Jim Bob, tell him to come outside. And we would battle, and so I would go to everybody projects everywhere and just battle. And so I just started getting a name, and then when I got down with Shantae and them, I had a name, and then we made a record, and I was just lucky to for it to come out. God bless me, making sure that it came out as a hit. So after I started doing the records with them, and then they gave me my chance to make the music, I said, I'm not going to let that go by. So that opened up a lot of performing opportunities for you. You got out of New York. What did, what did you think when you got out of New York and saw hip hop was starting to spread around the country? I just said, at that time, I was just, I was a headhunter. I was like, Whoever's well, doing the beatbox, I'm taking them out. Because you got to think I'm trying to get my name up, though. Right. Were, were there some areas that were more into hip-hop than others? I know back at that time, even a, a lot of, like, urban radio wasn't even embracing the form at all. They were resistant to it. They were just playing a handful of us. Exactly, yeah. So it was an uphill battle, really. Yeah, it was an uphill battle, but if you up on your game, it's not an uphill battle. When did everything change, you think? Uh, was it radio? Was it Yo! MT rap, MTV Raps? What was the thing that really pushed it over, do you think? Uh, I think us as talent. We just came in with so much talent that everybody was daring to be different. And there were a lot of different that's the, that's the difference between then and now. Now, everybody trying to be the same. Everybody want to have the same dreads. Same girls, same everything with us, where we was daring to be different. So when you were making records, what was your process? What was a typical uh, studio day for Biz Markie? Uh, give me a sandwich. <laughs> when I'm coming to the, when I'm coming to the studio with Mar, I already know what I want I want to do. So, so I already so. It, it sounds like it's crazy when I first, like, when I came to Marley and said, yeah, I'm going to make this record called Pick a Boogie. Huh? What are you talking about? I said, trust me, it's going to be funky. And I said, in the hook, and while, when Kane was helping me out with it, um, and I said, yo, Kane, in the hook, I wanted to go, hey, mom, what's for dinner? Go up your nose and pick a winner. Pick a boogie. So I already know what beat I'm under the use. I already know the, the keyboard and you know, I already already I already dreamt it two days before about it. So were you like a, a one take wonder or did you spend a lot of time on the mic by resident? I spent at the most on the record half an hour. That's beat and rhyme and everything. 
And what, what, what was the process for making the record? Did you choose the beats you liked, or did they come to you and say, make a record out of this? Nah, I made up, I mean, I thought of everything. Amali was the one that programmed, you know, he programmed and hooked it up. But I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Where were you recording at that point? Mm, we were recording in this house in our Queens. In Long Island City? Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, hip hop when it broke, kind of broke big in the mid '80s. I mean, for a lot of America, I mean, they knew rappers delight, but it really wasn't until the message and then Run DMC later where. To me, it was bigger than all of that. It just that it went to a. Where you're, where you're looking at is big. I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at as. You're looking at you're looking at success from money wise. I'm not looking at success. I'm looking at I'm looking at. <laughs> The groups that's just blossoming to where when we started doing stuff, um, the average person couldn't do it. So it looked, and we looking at, I'm looking at it as people is just getting better and better. You're looking at it, I'm not looking at it from a, a financial. Well, I'm talking about spreading the culture of it because a lot, there are a lot of places in America that they, there was no place they would ever hear this music. You know, a lot of radio didn't play it. None of the hip hop acts came Yeah, to but the town. thing is, they had to fill the void of disco. Yeah. Disco fell. <laughs> right or wrong. When the 80 came, disco and all that joint fell. It was no more, I will survive. All that's dead. So at the time, it was a time for hip hop, new wave, everything to fill a void. And hip hop was coming at it at speed and an alarming rate that you had to, you had to like, like people like, people like Rabbit's Delight, yeah, that was a big record. But you had records like Curtis Blow that, was, that got big. Right. Yeah. And you, you, got, you got Blondie that touched it, talking about Flash, that made it, you know what I mean? It's a lot of records. But you, everybody got to give credit to Grand Wizard Theater, uh, Bambata, Flash, Breakout, Theater, because they found the records for us to, 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 uh, to make a, a platform of hip hop. Forget the rap, forget the rap part. I'm talking about to extend it where we would, we would have never knew what Apache was or Mardi Gras. We would have never looked at good times that way. We would never looked at more bounce that way. We never looked at walk this way. Walk this way is hip hop. That's a rock record. The biggest one at that time was Big Beat Billy Squire. <laughs> Am I right? Come on, I'm talking about. I'm not even just. I'm looking at all elements. The people are billionaires. Or for the way we dress, cause we wear our pants with the with the drawers hanging out. Tell the truth. Yeah, it took over the culture eventually. Come on, yeah. it's the way we it's the way people from the Bronx, New York, everybody was dressing. And that visual style really connected on television too, as well. When uh -huh. videos finally got out there, um, Yo MTV Raps was was really helpful in getting but, that out. And another thing is. It ain't just New York, Philly, Jersey, 
uh, Connecticut, Long Island, everything. And then other cultures started coming into it, like Go-Go from D.C., Baltimore, everything. And it was the drug dealers bought everything into it, too, because the, the drug dealers was our first booking agents. I'm on tours and we go to like Milwaukee and they say, yo, take whatever you want out the stores. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your ascension as an artist. Once you started to, to make records and you started to get a little bit of success, your records definitely found a place with an audience. Um, what, what was your aim in making records? Because you had a very different approach from what other people were doing. Well, me making records, my first record, I wanted to let everybody know who I And so I wanted to do anything that's gonna hit off, whether it was make the music, the biz dance, whatever, the beatbox. So after I established that, uh, Boogie Down, Boogie Down Productions was going against us as Queens. So, I mean, I mean, I'm not Queens, I'm Long Island, but Boogie Down was going against the Juice Crew, Greensbridge, the Juice Crew. Right. The reason I'm saying this is because KRS made a record called "Success Is the Word." It was a group called 1241. And if you anybody hear the record, y'all understand why Magic Johnson. I mean, Magic. Mr. Magic and everybody was, you know, arguing with them back and forth or whatever at the time because the record wasn't that a good record. So I was friends with everybody. And everybody know that to this day. I, I was friends with everybody. But at the time, uh, they, was get, they was mad at, 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 at Magic and Marley and, you know, because, you know, at the time, you know, drugs was in the play and people would... They were getting on KRS and them, and KRS and them got mad at the time because they wouldn't accept them because they wanted to come into the Juice Crew at the time. So when they came back and made the record South Bronx against shot against MC Shan, and but people don't understand that it was because of the record 1241 success of the world. So. So yeah, you were ensconced in all, all of that, all of those beefs. But you had to, to keep your artistry going. So well, what happened with me is that they had a dude called Nakim and Nakim that tried to make a record. You can't win against me. And at the time, I had chickenpox, right? So I'm sitting in the room and saying, "What can I do to do to go against these guys?" So the way I went against these guys, I said, "Only thing I got to do is say better rhymes." So I made, I, me and Marley made the beat, and we came out with Nobody Beats the Biz. So I was, I was acting like I was from out of this world, out of space. Like if you hear the rhyme, you know me at the beat, guys, they get me RKIE, and I go for what I know doing a show for human beings. I'm guaranteed the rock can make the ladies scream and shout. I'm bound to wreck your body and say, turn the party out. What I was doing is like, I'm not from here, but you want to battle, let's do it. <laughs> So I made the record Nobody Beats the Biz, and it just came out to be a bomb. And that got you out there. Let's talk a little bit about, um, everybody wants to know about Just a Friend. It's one of those tunes that everybody knows and loves and sings along to. 
you know, the video is still hysterical, but it's sweet at the same time, if, if that's possible. Uh, let's talk about uh, that record and what went into making it. Well, just a friend, I was looking for the drums. I heard it at a house party in 83. And the dude, and you know how you know somebody don't have the highs. Like, say I'm in a, I'm in a Brooklyn, I'm in Brooklyn at a, at, a, at, a, at a house party in the projects. So I'm hearing, and I don't know what the dude was saying at the end. So when the dude left, and he just left, and I'm like, damn, I want to know the name of I was looking for that record as I was doing my other records. Where I told Kuvi and Big Daddy Kane and them, I said, if I ever find this record, I'm going platinum. So um, I met a dude named Danny Dan, the beat man, right? So we trade, we trade records. So he called me at my house and said, yo, is this what you looking for? I said, yo, play that joint again. <laughs> right over his house. Some dude drove me over there because I had a car accident like a couple weeks before. I had no car, so this dude drove me over. So I traded Danny Dan the Barbra Streisand um, Star is Born out. Right? There's a beat over there that goes Queen B, right? I mean, if anybody ever saw the movie, they'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, so uh, I traded him and then uh, I gave him $200 for the uh, the, the, uh, uh, the Freddie Scott Ping. and uh, and it's ironic that week later I met Freddie Scott in in uh, Amityville and I said y'all get ready to do your record over <laughs> I said really because it wasn't that big hit so and I met Gamble I met the Huffs Gamble Huff and he gave me the permission to use his stuff. So I said, yo. So when we put the record together, every rapper, everybody said, that's garbage. What are you doing, man? Just say that. I said, watch when it come out. It came out. Howard Stern, Frankie Crocker, and all the big DJs kept playing it. And it just exploded. The video, I did the video with a tight-ass jacket on. <laughs> like Prince, <laughs> and then the video just the video made the record bigger than what it was. Yeah, and of course that big boom bap in the chorus that that really is. <laughs> yeah. So um, tunes back in the day they could be anything. It seemed like you could have funny records, you could have political records, anything that's going on. Where did you fit in, in that mix? You seemed like. People expected a certain kind of record out of you, right? Nah, point. I would do I would do different records just to do. Like if you hear if, if you hear any of my albums, like if you hear make the music don't sound like nobody beats the biz. Nobody beats the biz don't sound like picking boogers. Picking boogers don't sound like going off. I even did a talking record, this stuff for the radio. Just to do it. But you but you always sound like Biz Marquis. So oh, like, I can't yeah. sound like nobody else. I'm not trying to sound like no even if I sound like like, um, me and the Beastie Boys did a record, uh, Rest in Peace to Yauk. Yeah. Um, me and the Beastie Boys did, when I, when I first met the Beastie Boys, it was Yo MTV Raps. Me and the Booyah Tribe 
It's me and Beachy Boy versus the Puya Tribe in basketball, right? <laughs> so we wear the Beachy Boy got a studio and uh, they got a basketball and a, and, a, and, and a skateboard joint, right? So I'm jumping on one of the the booyah child back as he trying to shoot. We doing a whole bunch of crazy stuff. Now the booyah child is for real. <laughs> but you know I don't care. They were big Samoan hey, right. big Samoan guys. Yeah, but you know, we all cool. So you know I can jump on him. I'm one of them that no matter how tough you are, no matter how I'm one of them that you gotta be, we cool. We all cool. Whether it's shoot night, whatever. We all cool, you know, you know, I don't mean no harm. So uh Marky Mark from the Beastie Boys, we up there and he's playing all these pop, I mean these soft rock records. And so he started playing Jeremiah was a bullfrog and I started singing it. So we just started singing a whole bunch of records. They bugged out saying, How do you know the track that you hear pop? So we started, we started with Benny and the Jets. Bam, bam, bam. And I started, hey kids, shake loose together. So we just, after that, it just went crazy. And they put it in a magazine as a record. And I've been, I've been the, uh, I've been the Billy Preston of the uh, BC Boys ever since. And of course, my favorite is the one where it's uh, you and Ted Nugent. Oh yeah, the BC boys. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I love. See, I'm from Long Island, so we loved a whole bunch of music. We listened to Be Alive, PLJ. We listened to, you know what I mean? We listened to so much diverse music because we we had diversity. We had black and whites as friends. It wasn't just one friend. Yeah, but that tripped me out because I, I hate to admit it, but I had that Ted Nugent record when I was in the ninth grade, and, and that was my favorite song on the record. So when I heard the Beastie Boys record, I was like, oh my God, how does he know that? How does the exact same reaction to me? Well, I'm a record collector. I got one of the biggest collections in the world, so I like, I like records for what records they are. I just love records. I can sleep with records, I mean. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about transitioning into DJing. When did you start doing that? Like 89, 90, I got bored with rap. Rap was, I'm not knocking rap, but it just that, it came too easy, so I wanted to challenge myself. So I said, I'm gonna teach myself how to DJ. So I started going around, at the time, I had a DJ, Kid Capri. I know everybody heard of him. He's been here, yeah. Okay, and I did his album, and then I said, Yo, Capri, we're going to make you a bigger person than what you are. So we made him big, and I said, Hey, I'm on the teach. I got all these records sitting around. So as I got to get better and better in DJing, I got down with Funkmaster Flex, Riz, and all of us, and we was the Flip Squad. And I just started getting better and better. And I bought my price down for a second just to get down. As that, as I got hotter, then the price went back up. So talk a little bit about uh, your, your DJ setup uh, when you began and its evolution to where you are now. What were you uh, spinning on initially? 1200s. And what kind of mixer? A Gemini, a GI? Whatever mixer was there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you gotta think if you're a mobile DJ and you go on the I set up my with the way I am. I set up my way like I'm um, 
and an artist. So you gotta have what my stuff say on the on the rider. You don't have to what if you don't have what's on the rider, I can't play. So uh over the years, what else did you use? Did you ever move over to CDJs? Yes, I was the first one with CDJ. I had CDJs, then everybody started using them. Serato later. And then I went to Serato, Final, Final Scratch first, then Serato. Then, um, you know, I always was a 45 collector. I was always a rec collector. So, then the 45 boom came out, I bought my turntables out. I bought my SL700s out. People couldn't believe it. They were like, yo, where you getting from? I traded somebody in Japan. Can you know, I traded for them, and then when I came out with them, I already had a 45 collection, so. Did you digitize uh, most of your vinyl? Uh, yeah, I got everything, yeah. Did, did and I had, the, I had the Pro 2 sessions, so the only thing I do is EQ it and made an MP3 or AIF out of it. So what are you using these days? What kind of gear? When, where are we going? <laughs> I think I DJ for everybody. I don't care if you're gay, I don't care if you got four legs. I'm DJing for everybody. Everybody's one unit of people. All that, all that, everybody trying to be this and that, that. Everybody's cool. I mean, if I don't, I like you. I don't care about I like you if gay or not. If you got a big fucking head, I'm gonna tell you you got a big fucking head, whether you gay, whether you straight, I'm gonna crack on you regardless. It got nothing to do with it got nothing to do with your gender. Come on. Everybody know I crack jokes anyway. Come on, Lisa. Come on, Lisa. I'm the hey, I'm the same person. Right or wrong. See, it got nothing to do with what you going through or what what you are. Come on, son. And you know I <laughs> I don't care if you're black, white, I love everybody is one person. So when you get hired to do some of these events like the Super Bowl or working with Chris Rock, do you get nervous at all? Nah, yeah. I'm an entertainer for life. What they ain't getting nervous about? All thing I get nervous about is if I have to go to the bathroom before the party. <laughs> <laughs> then I just have to let it loose. Y'all have to wait till I get back or something. But otherwise, if you got if you got love in your heart and you got God in your heart. People is not going to do you dirty. So you just got to, your talent got to show. Your talent got to shine. It's, you're not bigger than people. People is bigger than you. So you just got to have fun. Speaking of fun, what was the funnest event you ever DJed? It depends. What comes to mind? Magic Johnson parties, uh, just straight the uh, Christie with uh, Tools of War, uh, the Do Over. It's so many. I did. I did so many parties. First Fridays, every all around the world. It depends on the party. Soul Train. It depends. You know, if you. It depends on you. I never really had a bad party. So it's like. Showing your talent, something that you've been building for the, for all your life, and you got people that you can entertain and love, and they love you back. That's the best thing to feel in the world. So I want to go back to your artist career real 
quick because you did change the game a little bit uh, with the sample trouble you had with uh, Gilbert S. Sullivan on the loan again. How did that change the game legally? Well, speaking? what happened was we used to make 39 tapes of everything we sampled and we give it to the record company. So it was the record company's fault. It wasn't my fault. I mean, it happened. Whatever happened, what happened with the record company with that with the, with the Gilbert O'Sullivan thing, but it still don't stop me in being an artist. I got to be a bigger artist after that. Then, then to worry about that that thing that happened. Yeah. So tonight at Kiss Kiss, what can people expect from you on the decks? <laughs> Ain't know what they gonna expect. They <laughs> better come in there and have some damn fun. Don't come in there with no damn frowny face. <laughs> come and have some fun. And what have you got coming up at 18? What's what's next for you? Uh, we're gonna try to do this. Ju we're starting the Juice Crew tour, and another thing is I'm on I'm on the I Love the '90s tour, and I got uh, a TV show get ready to come out that you're gonna like. Okay, and. Uh, the Roland connection, you guys. Oh, Roland has always been down with me for life. I mean, I should have a tattoo of that, but I ain't put it on today. <laughs> Roland has always been down. I've been using their drum machines since they first came out. I got every single Roland drum machine. I got every Doctor Rhythm from Korg. I got I got Flash's beatbox. I got every drum machine that ever came out. And Roland has always been down, and I always will be down with Roland. Cool. We want to open this up to the floor. Um, we're going to request that you come to the microphone. Tell us your name, where you're from, and please ask a question and don't make a speech. Thanks. Yeah, how you doing, Biz? Go ahead, This is about the Juice Crew. I just wanted to know um, about, you know, Master Ace, the daddy came, all the people that you work with. Just you know, if you still down with them or how was of course. It if, how are we gonna have a whole tour? True indeed, true indeed. Right. You're right, you're right. Well like coming up with them, like like stuff that I like I don't know. I've been a fan of the school since you know what I'm saying, since I was little. Like, what do you wanna know? Like how did you meet Kane? Like how was it? Kane, I met Kane, I met Kane in the battle. Like we battled in front of Macquarie's in front of the Obby Square Mall. And you know, he'll say it's a tie. No. <laughs> you know nobody funnier than me. So but Kane was great, incredible. The one by far one of the best. But I, I had the I had the um, honor to have two of the best MCs. I had him and Rocket. Rocket was in the group with me. So I had so uh, uh, I had the honor. But the only thing that was different between me and them, I was more outgoing than any of them. I can go anywhere. Come on, Tony. Hey, what's up? Um, real quick question that Jim touched on it. And, and just in generalities, I'd love to hear your your feedback, your opinions on sampling from back in the day, how you did it then compared to what's going on now, and copyright issues. Well, well not specifics, but well, it's not about the copyright issues. It's about I mean, we, we try to get as slick as possible, see how far we can get away with stuff. But the thing is, I had a verbal agreement with uh, Gilbert O'Sullivan. 
But he saw me, but he saw me, he saw that just a friend went so big, so he wanted more money. Right. And then, then the rent company at the time was arguing with him. Right, and, and I, I don't, I don't want to get into the, the specifics. Just like I said, your opinion, just generally on how sampling has changed from how you did it before. How uh, it's well, to these today. new guys don't usually, they don't sample like we used to. Right. I mean, it's not that much soul of music. Right. right? When we were sampling, we were sampling the soul sound. Pleasure to talk to you. So here's the question. Back at Williams High School, when you guys did that lunchroom thing, did you know Kid Wizard brought him at the time? Um, or was that the first time you met him? And did you no. feel competitive at that time? Hey, here's what happened. When I met Rakim, I knew Rakim before that. I knew he was like 13 or 14. I met him at um, VFW in Bayshore. We was outside, some guy was ready to fight somebody with a machete. Right. So we, I'm standing out there. We talking. We like, yo, I'm like, yo, I ain't going back in there. So he said, Joe Biz, blah blah blah. We're doing wine dance thing. Come over there. I said, okay, I'll be over there. So when I first was rocking with Rakim, I was doing the beatbox. Nobody ever seen this before. You know, nobody ever seen this on Long Island. So I'm doing the beatbox, and he started rapping off me. As he started rapping off me, it started getting cool because he was the cool guy around the way. So when I saw him in the in the lunchroom, and we, we already knew, you know, so we went outside and everybody thought we were gonna fight outside. So we outside and he rapping off me, and then the cops came up and everything and said, What's wrong with him? He just rapping off me. And then we was we was boys ever since. Wow, that's awesome. That's really do you feel that that's really the pinpoint, the pinnacle, the moment where it just exploded? Uh, but at that time, I was in everybody neighborhood, so it wasn't that was just exploded in wine dance at the time. But I was everywhere. That's cool. How you doing, Bismarck? Uh, I got a lot of questions, but I'm just gonna keep these. Just, just say your questions, cause we got time. Come on. How did you make? How did you make? <laughs> You're a DJ. Your songs are still being played. Do you still play your own songs at parties? That's one. Yeah. Number two. How did how did you make um how did you make uh the DJ that you said how did you make him big? How did you blow him out big free? How did you make him large? Well, Capri at the time he was just a street DJ with tapes. I talked. He made an album called The Tape. Well, I, after that, I said, yo, Capri, you can't just be a regular DJ on the street. You gotta be an artist. And so he followed my path to be an artist. And that's how he got to be King Capri. Because he, she, it wasn't just him just DJing at a party. He, she, he, he made himself bigger than what he, what his name was. And you helped him do that? Yeah. yeah. Promoting him? He was hanging with me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Biz. Yeah. You traveled a lot, so along your travels, what's what is the uh, what do you like most about traveling? What do you hate most about traveling? And do you have travel tips? Okay. 
being a tour guide. The thing I don't like about traveling <laughs> is going through the airport. <laughs> what? Or getting from point A to point B. Go ahead. Oh, the like, what do you, that's what you hate, what do you love most about travels? What has traveling brought to you? Like, what is, you're pulling these I mean, I mean, you grab things, I mean, it depends where you go. Like, if you travel to Japan, Japan got a whole bunch of stuff. Toys and anything that we don't got. Do you have tips for people that are traveling a lot, like it's uncomfortable, or what do you do to stay comfortable? I mean, you've done this for years and years and years. Well, Some it depends on time, what time your flight is. You take an early flight, I'm sleeping on the whole flight. If you if you are uh, if you in a car, gotta have your music right, have your snacks right. <laughs> Thank you. What's up? This is DJ Iron Mike, Hamilton, New Jersey, fellow record collector, collector, fellow toy collector. Okay. So I have a uh, question on that note. What's that? Okay. The uh, Mass City single, Me and the Biz, had the doll of Midwest Army. I know you're not, but the the cover of the single has your likeness. Dave made the doll. I wanted to know if you had any stories about that because the dog. I got kind of no, I got no, I, I didn't even. Make, I, never interested in buying it or anything. Uh, like that. Not my own dog. Got this dog. Okay. Well, that was you. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I got nothing. I didn't. I I didn't participate in none of that. Gotcha. We were supposed to make a record, but at the time, me and Marley wasn't getting along, so I said, "Yo, it's either you want to record it at my studio or Marley's studio. If you record it at Marley's studio, I can't do that." All right, uh, well, that was sour. So, on a good note, do you have any, pop, any, any of your favorite toys or any uh, ones that are really expensive or valuable to you that you uh, you could share any stories on? Uh, I got a Jimmy Walker Technique turntable. Okay, and what does that mean? Okay, uh, I got a full collection of Johnny Lightning cards. You know what that is? I mean, I don't know which way you want to talk toys. Whatever you want to talk. Okay. Uh, oh, somebody did something that somebody won't know. Gigantor that can fly. Ghostly Racer car. I got a lot of toys. I can't. I can't pinpoint. Too much toy. DJ Dan down out of Patterson, New Jersey. I used to hate Patterson. I got kicked out of. Uh, remember they used to have the down there. They used to have the. Uh, Carnival? Well, being cool, he had walkie talkies, but it was going on the same frequency as the police. <laughs> and they gonna tell me, you gotta turn your door. I said, no, I bought mine, no, no. They kicked me out, and all the kids is with me. And then they were let me go back in again. Yeah, well, I have a uh, question. My question, I just two part. Number one is that, like a lot of people are talented, a lot of people are good, and their, their game is up. But 
what do you see as the reason that a Bismarck thief makes it compared to so many other people talented out there? And is there anyone that you think is talented? Maybe they change the music up or anybody that's out now that you would like to work with, maybe the game's up or anything? Well, I used to go the extra mile. You gotta go the extra mile. Because I'm from Long Island, so to make it into where the city is, like Run DMC had to do that extra thing to make it from Queens, because the Bronx and Manhattan was controlling hip hop at one time. So you have to go the extra mile. Whether you, even if you're a DJ, for you to be a Philly DJ, you had to go the extra mile to cut. Why you think Jackie Jeff is known to this day? Cash Money is known to this day. It's because they had to go that extra mile for people for them to, for them to shine. I mean, in terms of promoting, in terms of skill level, you gotta promote yourself. Okay. Nobody gonna promote yourself like you. No matter how much you work waiting for a record company to promote yourself, I'm the rap promoter, so I never let nobody wait. Come on, is you like you gonna wait for somebody to promote you? You gotta promote yourself. And then is anybody that's out today? that you would like to work with, or you would maybe lift the piece a little bit, but say, okay, this is somebody I'd like to get with. Uh, I'm too old to even think that way. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if they work with me, they work with me. I mean, but it ain't like, oh, no. hey, I want to work with this guy. <laughs> Another question. DJ Abel out of Jersey, South Jersey, that is. This, my question is a beatboxing question. Between you, Buff, Dougie, and Jock Pop, the skinny boys, how would you rank yourself competitively with them? And is there any other beatboxers that you personally check for that you feel uh, didn't get credit? Uh, first of all, you got Rich, that's Dougie taught. You got uh, DMX that I taught from, uh, from, um, from you got Eminard, you got Rozelle, you got Scratch. There's a lot of beatboxes that you, they just didn't make it in the commercial, but they great, you know what I mean? But I can't rank myself with everybody else because I'm just a different person. Me and Dougie, Dougie did it one way, I did it one way, Buffy did it another way. So we can't, we're the, where the where the fathers are? Dougie, we give we, I'll give Dougie the number one. I go number two, but but the success came first from Buffy because he was with a group. He had a record company that made the records the right way. Cool. Another question. What do you want, Bilal? <laughs> I just want to take this uh, opportunity to ask. One of my best friends, of course. Because for me, you changed my life. Period. You changed, I can tell you that I talked to Rockin. You already know. You changed his life. Period. Diamond J over there. You changed his life. Period. My question to you is you changed King's life. Period. How does that feel to change people's lives? I don't look at it. I don't look at it as changing people's lives. I'm just helping somebody along. 
I never, I never, I never looked for yo. I hooked you up, John. We are John. No, thank you, John. No. The thing is, I look at it as we all in it together. So I'm just grabbing you to help you give them a home. Come on, Lisa, I help. I help to everybody. It's not even the point about help. It's the point about you helped. You take it over to, to the next level. Legacy. Like I really didn't. Me, for me coming from Long Island, I really I couldn't have help because nobody understand my vision. Mm. Only person that really understood my vision was a Marley. Word. So we I gotta give it to him. We sure understand that. My my mind, you come on, black. You know my mind was different than anybody else. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just want so, you to know, man. You, you changed people's lives. I don't want you to know. I'm not looking at it. I'm just looking at it as y'all still here. Exactly. <laughs> On that same note of changing people's lives, um, recently I realized the power that the DJ has in the community. Um, and, you know, I find that rewarding that I can just make people's night, you know, I can bring happiness, smile, simple as that. Um, some people get reward out of the money out of the gig. Some people get reward out of the attention that the girls give them. Some others get reward out of the drinks. You know, what makes it rewarding for you today to DJ? Just the smile on people's faces or just me doing something and all of us got surrounded right now right but me to bring something out that i know nobody got you know what i mean or do something that nobody has seen before because some people are complacent with their surround where they get they might get records from this person records from this person they might get this from this person my thing is to create so so for me to throw something on and create somewhere and make you smile, or you go, oh shit, or you go, wow, where you do that from? That's my, that's my validation. That, that makes my, that makes me hard. <laughs> and on that note, we, everybody come out to Kiss Kiss tonight to the Roland Showcase to see the one and only Biz Marquee. Get and come Biz Marquee. And come by the booth. I'm going to do a little something at the booth in a few minutes. Thanks. What an awesome keynote that was to attend. Thanks for listening. Remember to rate and subscribe on Apple's iTunes podcast. If you're listening to this podcast anywhere else like YouTube or Mixcloud, check us out on iTunes because that's where you can subscribe and make sure you get every episode every week. And you can also listen to back catalog of episodes. It's the Roger Rabbit podcast. Thanks very much. It's the Roger Rabbit podcast.